0: You're listening to Deal Closer is brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day even sellable. I'm Jason Gillikin, and on the show today, Website Closers Isaac Porter and I talk to two brothers who turn their skepticism of big government and the dollar and turn it into a seven figure exit. Let's talk a little bit about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically. As I record this, Bitcoin has dropped from 30,000 a month ago to about 20,000 now. Over the past five years, though, Bitcoin has increased from about 2,000 to 20,000 with a high of 64,000. If you can handle the swings, a 10x increase over a five-year period isn't so bad. For those of you who, like me, before I record this podcast, don't know a whole lot about what Bitcoin is, it's a decentralized digital currency that can be transferred on the peer-to-peer Bitcoin network. And keeping track of your own Bitcoins and keeping that information secure is why you need a, a crypto wallet. For brothers Brian and Colin Alts, they found that crypto wallets weren't amazing and they could do better. We'll get to that. But first, we start with growing up. Brian is four years older than Colin, and although they didn't always get along, they both had a love of business. Here's Brian.
1: We were both pretty entrepreneurial, but I think four years is like the worst year differential that you can have between siblings, you know, as they're growing up. They're like old enough to like want to be around you and and think you're cool but like oh yeah you definitely thought I was cool Colin don't make that face um not not old enough to like keep up and so it just kind of like I I was pretty pretty mean to Colin so I will admit that
2: Brian had a like a lawn mowing business and I definitely wanted a piece of that and to help him out with it and I think my parents basically made him let me help which to much to his chagrin uh, but yeah, I tried a few different things. I tried like a snow cone stand on the on the deck of our river house as people floated by. But man, that flopped horribly. Yeah, I, I would say I didn't really have much success on the entrepreneurial end until I hit college and I started throwing some some parties and I would charge like a, a five dollars per cup to enter the house, and then you got as much beer as you wanted. But um, it was probably illegal, frankly. But you know, when you're in college. You It was a massive success, actually.
0: It wouldn't be Colin's last success. And for Brian, his career began in the Naval Academy as a pilot. And that's how he found both his love for logistics and maybe his skepticism for big government.
1: We knew how much ice cream was going over to the carrier every day because like when you were doing ice cream, they would say, hey, this is a load of ice cream. We're going to wheel it out of the freezers like right now. And like you have to get this load. And make sure the carrier is ready for it so that they can get it. Because you're in the Persian Gulf. It's like 130 degrees outside, right? So the ice cream is going to melt like that. So as soon as it comes out, you pick it up, you take it over to the carrier, and they wheel it out to the freezer. And so they're like, okay, well, how many grabs of ice cream do I got? And we're like, oh, we got three grabs of ice cream. And there's like eight pallets times three. So there's 24 pallets of ice cream that are going over. And then like, you know, that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of ice cream. And then you go down to the galley and there's never any ice cream. And you're like, where is all this ice cream going? And like, oh, well, the chiefs are getting all the ice cream. Like because because then they're the ones who are actually like in control of these pallets down there.
2: And back to Colin, he graduated just
0: after the peak of the Great Recession.
2: It was very difficult to get a good job. And the only people that were hiring were insurance agencies. So um, I went and got a job at New York Life. I sucked at it which is interesting because because when you're an insurance agent, it's actually a pretty entrepreneurial job. I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're paid full commission. I mean, you don't make money if you don't sell. But man, I just hated it. And I was living in Nashville and I hated living in Nashville. I just didn't. I mean, it's a fun city. It's great to visit. I think of it a lot like I think of New York. Nice to visit, but I would never want to live there. Everything in my personal life was going bad. And I just, I had no prospects. I mean, it was, it was pretty dire, to be honest with you. So, I left. I just like started over basically. I I moved to Korea, started teaching English, and uh and I met a guy named Ruben Thompson there. And he was the uh the leader of the Seoul Bitcoin meetup. I was living in Seoul, Korea. And uh I had I this was in twenty fourteen and I had been a pretty frequent um uh user of the Mises.org forums, which is the Mises Institute is like a Libertarian think tank, basically, and I would read a lot of their articles and I'd be on their forums and these guys in like 2011 started talking about Bitcoin and I'm like, this is this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. I mean, who on earth would would use this? Clearly, gold is is you know the best money, and uh, I thought it was really dumb and I I shrugged it off. And I'm like, man, we're really going the wrong direction here, guys. But then I met Ruben. And uh, he asked me to come to his meetup because he had come to one of my meetups. And uh, so I went and I uh, really liked Ruben. And, you know, Ruben, if you don't know who Ruben Thompson is, which I, I don't have any reason to think that you do, uh, he's he's now the lead lead maintainer of the the Bitcoin mailing list, which is the mailing list that goes out to all the Bitcoin core devs. So, I mean, he's really connected in with the the active development scene on Bitcoin. He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. And basically proceeded to explain why I was wrong about every assumption I had about Bitcoin. And I, I basically left that meetup like a complete believer. And um, yeah, that segues into Brian and I's first purchase of Bitcoin in 2014. It was right after the Mt. Gox hack and and Bitcoin had just hit a high of $1,200 and it, it had tanked down after that hack because everyone was panicking. And basically, I mean, it was like, this thing is over with. I mean, that's what a lot of people thought. This this project is done. But obviously, you know, Bitcoin's the the ultimate honey badger. It doesn't care. It just keeps <laughs> going. So so Brian and I got in and that kind of segues out of there. But just just to finish up what happened afterward, I, I left um I met my my current wife there. She she moved back to California. I moved back to Texas for a little while. And it was like my sole mission to make it to California. So I eventually moved out to California. I got a job working um, software QA at Panasonic Avionics. And um, that's kind of where Brian and I started the business.
0: Okay. Okay. So Bitcoin was at 1200 And then after the, the hack, it's down to what? W- what did you get in for? I think Two, at bottom. 240
2: the, three, yeah, three, like 340 something, something like that. that. Something yeah. Somewhere along in there. I don't remember exactly. And but Brian, back then what... it was awesome because you could just you could just go to Bitcoin ATMs and put in cash and you could buy as much as you wanted that way more or less.
0: So Brian, what does that call like in 2014 from Colin, where he's like, "Hey, I want to I want to invest in in Bitcoin." What are you thinking? Yeah. Then are, are are you like, what the hell are you talking about?
1: <laughs> Honestly, like I had heard about it like completely separately um, several times and kind of had this, like, inkling in the back of my head, like, oh, you know, that's something I should probably, like, take a flyer on. Um, and then, like, you know, you get busy with whatever else and, and brush it off. And and at the time, like, it was, when I first heard about it, it was just a pain in the ass to, to actually get a hold of. Um, so, eh, like, the amount of work it would take, it was more than than the price you were gonna pay for it, right? It wasn't it half wasn't half easy the, like it is today. Yeah, to half the price was like your sweat equity in like going out to figure out how to get a hold of it. Like, oh, I'm gonna Western Union like money to the Philippines. like that just sounds like a bad idea, you know. Um, so <laughs> like definitely it's all going to be gone. Right. So you really are taking a flyer that you're actually going to get this, you know, yeah. The product yeah. The and the it's, it's worth noting that like the way
2: that you got Bitcoin was on Mount Gox, but Mount Gox had just melted down and you yeah. couldn't get it on Mount Gox anymore. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's how systemic that, that hack was. I mean, that, that was the way that you got Bitcoin. That was the big innovation in liquidity was mountain god yeah. so it was the first real bitcoin exchange
1: yeah and so so when when it folded coinbase was around and so that was kind of like how coinbase sucked up its initial uh big slug of customers in the us at least it's kind of like that was where everyone went and so i remember you know like uh the, my my thought process was like okay i'll take a flyer on this but i don't want to invest as much as colin because um i want to you know not hurt as bad when it craters and goes to zero <laughs> so <laughs> and, and was so. that the
0: expectation like you fully expected it to go to zero
1: yeah well it just it was like whatever i put in this i need to be comfortable with like it it just disappearing tomorrow you which know? is so, like, which is
2: i think still like that still should be your attitude that is true
1: yeah yeah, yeah. it yeah. needs to be an amount that you're comfortable yeah uh having disappear yeah. Um, yeah. Now the chances of it disappearing are much lower now, I would say, than yeah. <laughs> than they were in fourteen. Yeah, definitely true.
0: Yeah. So what happened then? Like what happened in your initial investment?
1: Um I mean, I think I still have some of those coins. So yeah. did it did
0: like, it did it uh did it go up quickly though?
1: No, yeah. no, no. It grinded sideways for like Years. until 2016, seven like early seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it might have like doubled in price over those three years, but it basically did nothing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, around 2016, I think New Year's Day of 2017, it hit $1,000. And so it still hadn't gotten back up to the all time high again. Yeah. Uh,
0: that's still a good return on what you what you bought it for.
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah. But I mean, again, you like you didn't put a lot of money in it. Right. Like, yeah. You were you would be stupid if you bought, you know, Maybe you
2: put in a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, just not that much money. But I mean, to me at that time, it was a lot of money that I put in because I was making almost no money. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, but you know, like at that point in my life, you have to understand, um, Brian was, was doing pretty well in the Navy, but he had a family and stuff like that. But I had, I hadn't, I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. I just, I had so little to lose. Anyway, so that there's sort of a power in having little to lose because you can just take these big risks and it's like, well, <laughs> it can't get much worse. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I, I it's funny that Brian and I kind of came to it separately because I think, you know, one of the things we didn't mention, one reason that we kind of became buds, we had both kind of been toying with this, this, uh, I don't know, more libertarian philosophy than we were raised in. And we kind of arrived at it separately. Like, I was like, dude, have you ever read this article by you know von Mises before? And he's like, Oh yeah, I have. Like, I've been reading a lot of that stuff. And it's like, I think we were kind of raised accidentally to be pretty hardcore, like libertarian guys. And definitely early Bitcoin selected for that crowd because it appealed to the crowd of Fiat money is bullshit and and it's just a giant ponzi scheme and you yeah. know they're just they're just ruining your wealth.
1: Yeah, the government has ruined our money. Yep. Uh and like we need to try to take it back. And so then like Colin kind of alluded to earlier, the initial uh idea was that you know, we'll go back to a gold standard or whatever and and I think like it finally just occurred like being I guess a tail end of the millennial, the gold thing just kind of seemed to fall flat when you look at the internet and you're like, well, you know, I can't send gold over the internet. And so like, it just seemed like an idea that was more right for its time. Again, uh, like, or at least something that could happen, you know, back in 2014. and, And it seemed to be getting more and more likely as, as we go into 2017, so.
2: yeah and I think I think the other the other big thing and the reason it appealed to to the libertarian crowd was that everything up to that point if if you were if you were concerned about the way our money worked and I, I don't want to get too political on this because it's not what the show's about but just just to explain the kind of motivation and why we got interested in it at that time you know the the only alternative was to go back to the gold standard and again like what Brian said it, it it doesn't really fit the time. It gets a little bit archaic. But but on top of that, it required a massive lobbying effort that was very unlikely to succeed, basically impossible to ever succeed, asking the government to go back to a gold standard like that's just never going to happen ever. And Bitcoin was it was an escape hash out of the system that you had no choice but to participate in. But if you could bootstrap this other network that competes with the dollar, instead of integrates with it, then you're no longer asking for permission. You're just you're just going around the mountain instead of instead of trying to bore through it. So so I think I think that's what appealed to that crowd early on. And there was enough of us at that time to bootstrap the network enough to get it off the ground. Yeah,
0: gotcha. And so you're into Bitcoin in 2017 when did you think of starting a business centered around bitcoin
1: yeah so it's kind of a funny story uh colin we had kind of a group chat with me and colin and ruben and another friend actually all four of us now are, are podcast hosts uh, on our podcast the unash podcast uh but at the time you know there was no podcast it was just kind of the the four of us uh shooting the breeze on on telegram so colin post in there like hey like if i was ever going to start a business in the crypto space i would name it bill foddle uh which is now the name of our product but at the time he was just like thought it was a funny name because it's like uh billfold mixed with hodl with h-o-d-l which yeah is i mean it's own there's lots of own wallets crypto there's lots
2: of wallets in the space and so like wallet billfold i mean those are kind of the same thing like yeah uh, someone should create a wallet called Bill foddle That's what they someone should do that.
1: So then I immediately just to kind of like Raz Colin went out and bought BillFoddle dot com. Um <laughs> and so, like, hey, you can't start this business now because I own the dot com domain, and he was a little mad about that. And and then we started kind of kicking. This was probably in like uh I don't know. This like was June. in the end of
2: twenty seventeen.
1: Yeah. June of 17. Yeah. Mid 17, mid to late 17.
0: So your, your motivation though, is you're being a jerk big brother at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Trolling me. Um, Yeah. I was just trolling him that I had bought the domain name for his idea. (laughs) And so then like it, it also around the same time, like I'm getting out of the Navy. And so I'm having to think about like what I'm going to do when I grow up. And so I'm like, well, you know, there's this other product that like we kind of start formulating this half cocked, uh, business idea. Um, so (laughs) that, that's kind of the, the Genesis story behind both the name and, uh, the idea of us, uh, getting into the space. Okay.
0: So at some point you're thinking like, well, maybe we should actually do this. And there's, there's a lot of wallets out there. Um, like what, what problem are you trying to solve when you're when you're starting to do this?
1: Yeah, so at the time in mid to late 2017, the crypto market was just absolutely bananas, um, and so Ledger had had launched probably two years before, but their Nano S product was just selling like gangbusters, and and there was another company called CryptoSteel who had made really the first steel wallet in the space i would say um and the problem was that they were making these out of their father's like steel forge the sword factory um, yeah yeah in, it was like a, a sword factory yeah in poland and there was no way for them to scale up to meet the demand and so you would go on their site and buy you know want to buy a crypto steal and they'd say, okay, like, and I had bought some in early, early 17. And, you know, maybe I like purchased like 10 of them or something. Uh, And they'd say, okay, like, we'll ship to you maybe in three months. And then, you know, you'd wait and wait and wait. And eventually they would come and, you know, they worked as advertised, right. But like, clearly, if, if the backlog is that much, like the market is saying, we need more of these things, and I was reselling some of them on eBay for, like they retail for ninety nine. I'd sell them for two hundred fifty bucks. Whoa, right? So, like the market is saying, like we need a lot more of these things. And so, like operations background, I was like, ah, I think we can get these made for quite a bit less than two hundred fifty, and even less than you know, like than whatever the crypto seal is making them for. And also, solve for some of the other problems that were with the unit, so that yeah, that was really the problem that we had set out to solve, yeah,
2: I mean, that was the initial problem, and I mean, on top of that, the user experience of the product was horrible I mean, it yeah. was just at, it was definitely designed by someone who doesn't understand how customers think when they receive your product it but it didn't matter because they were a first mover, and it it did what it said it would do. But, I mean, there was just so many little things you could make better. The customer service was crap. I mean, absolute dog shit. So we're like, well, we can, we can do better customer service than this. And the other thing that we were thinking about, like, that I just laugh at uh, in hindsight, we thought it would be so easy to find a supplier for this product. And for us, it was. Uh, but I think we got really lucky. Uh, yeah. Because we tried to find more suppliers after, and it was like impossible. It was so hard. We eventually found some, but but it took like a couple of years to find another one. And our also our idea was like, let's just sell like a thousand of these things and make a you know make twenty grand and you know move on our way. But then we sold through them, and we're like, well, we just sold a thousand of these. Like, we got to do it again. So we put all the money back in to get two or three or whatever. I don't remember. It's like, and if we buy three, we can get them for this price. And so then it became, then you start realizing, you know, the, the issue of scaling that entrepreneurs have of it just being this, this baby that is endlessly hungry. It's like, wow, I've made a hundred grand, but I actually haven't made anything (laughs) because I've re-upped every time. And then, that was basically the story almost up until the the time we sold. I think kind of towards the end uh we were we were actually like taking home some pretty fat checks, but really up until 2020 like we didn't make anything and it was pretty hand to mouth for those years too. But you know, I did want to I did want to mention I think one of the greatest business lessons I got out of this business is how overrated originality is. Because um, you know, when Crypto Steel created this product, they open sourced the design. So we didn't have to redesign anything. I mean, anyone was allowed to take their schematic and go go manufacture it or create their own or make whatever modifications they wanted to it. And I think a lot of the time in in uh in business advice they talk about you know, how having an original idea is so important. I think that's bullshit. I mean, it, it's nice to be first mover, but there's also a ton of risk involved with being a first mover. Whereas in this case, and I think in many other cases, like just look for a proven market where the market leader is really bad at what they do. And the only reason that they do well is because they're the only guy providing the product. I mean, that, those are where opportunities are.
0: For yeah. sure. Yeah. All you need to do is solve a problem and you've got a business right yep. it it yeah. doesn't have to be uh an original idea it's very rare to f- to have an original idea that that would actually go somewhere yeah. so it sounds like you guys invested a little bit in the business just to see how it would would go and then it went well and then you invested more and it went well like did you have any idea that this could snowball up into a a legitimate you know full-time job <laughs>
1: I kept I kept telling myself that it was a full-time job, even, even when it wasn't. <laughs> and so um and I honestly I think that might be why we won. Um yeah. and I say win. I, I say win, you know, metaphorically. Um but I think a lot of the other people in the market did not have anyone working full time and that it, it was just like a pet project. And so you're just able to. I mean, it's what you're doing. You're putting at least 40 hours a week into it, right? So you're able to just out hustle everybody. There were a lot. Like we 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 like to joke that the road of metal hardware wallets, metal crypto wallets, is littered with our dead competitors, and I I think most of them. It was just a, a pet project for them, a side hustle,
2: which is how it started for us. I mean, that's, yeah, that was yeah. our idea was it'll just be a pet project, but it'll it, yeah, it'll be a side it, hustle, and then it, you won't I sell couldn't. a thousand if you do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing, and and, and so I, I couldn't find a job, and so like I would just you know like uh, as I got out of the navy in 2018, I couldn't find a job, and so I just worked more and more on Bill Foddle. and and so that kind of yeah one thing led to another that way, but I think a lot of it was just hustle so
3: so can you can you guys talk about the business model a little bit you you've got a a website the business was primarily d2 c built kind of on a shopify platform like how did you come up with that as a distribution model and what are other things did you think about as you were as you were building out that and eventually you know leading to an Amazon channel and a wholesale business
1: as far as the go to market strategy I think you know initially we started on as an online b2c channel because that's what cryptoseal was doing and yeah. so you know we knew that's where the market was and it like i don't think there was a lot of like deep uh strategic thought that went into it it was just kind of a like well no, it not. this is you know this is what the <laughs> this is what our competitors doing so clearly like it's where we need to start and then we did kind of like dip our toe into amazon and and have grown that out to be I guess an equal pillar to our Shopify store. So, um, it's just kind of like organic growth, uh, in in all the channels, you know, just like try something out. Okay. That worked. And then again, yeah, you just keep doubling down on, uh, on what works. And there were plenty of things that, you know, that, (laughs) that didn't work along the way, but.
0: So Isaac, when did you become aware of privacy pros and, and bill foddle? Yeah. So I think, uh, we were
3: introduced by Tom Howard in 2021
1: would have been kind of in the spring, maybe Q1. Does that sound right guys? Yeah. We reached out to Tom, I think in December of 2020 to get his take on it and, um, to, you know, just let him know like, Hey, and what's funny is like, you know, we told him at the time, like, Hey, like this is going to get really big over this next year. And like, we're going to want to plan on sometime, I think at the time we said like mid 2021, um, like thinking about an, an an exit. And I think he kind of thought like he looked at our books at the time and was like, kind of, uh, I think he kind of dismissed it a little bit. Like, not that a broker is ever going to um, say that out loud, but I think he was like, looked at it and be like, guys, like, let's be honest here. Like, that you've only done, I don't know, I don't like how much revenue we had for 2020, but it wasn't a lot. It was
2: was horrible. I mean, it was nothing. Yeah. It was probably
1: like $300,000 or $400,000 in revenue. I don't remember, but, but, you know, we saw the hockey stick and we knew what was coming. And I think, you know, that's kind of one thing where someone in the market, you know, not that I have like, you know, telepathic predictive abilities or anything like it could have turned out totally differently. Uh, but, the people in the market kind of have like the the different feel for it than than people externally looking and and Tom was not the only person. One of our mentors kind of said the same thing. Like guys, like no one's like this is peanuts. Like no one's going to care about this kind yeah. of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and that's not wrong. And it's not a it's not a no. um it's not a a bad impulse to have. But but when you've been in 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 this space as long as we have and you've studied it as long as we have, it's And again, you don't have a crystal ball, but uh, Bitcoin has had a very, very um, predictable pattern that has emerged every four years. It just shoots up a metric fuck ton, and then it crashes down, but higher than the previous high. And then it goes sideways for a while and goes up and down and then it shoots up again. And it's just that's just how it's how it's worked out over the past, I don't know, 12 years or whatever it's been now. And. At that point, when we came to Tom, like things were starting to heat up and, and we were like, OK, this we're we're going to be ready to go here pretty soon. We want to get this in, in the works, but it hadn't really taken off yet. And so I think it was it, it would have been very easy if you weren't super familiar with the space to kind of be like, well, I mean, no one's going to want this right now. And they wouldn't have. But, you know, then then it it, it did so. Y'all had looked at a
3: deal that Tom was representing, and so Tom met you through the deal and started talking about your business. And, and like you said, it was real early on, but we came up with this idea to develop projections and and go to market based on the the pro forma growth of the business yeah. that you were expecting to occur. And and that was pretty cool because that that's kind of when I when I came in and we we worked on the projections, yeah. and then you guys just proceeded to absolutely destroy it you know, for the next, the next couple quarters and, and blew your projections out of the water. And I yeah. think we ra- we raised the price on your deal three different times, I believe. Yeah. Well, well,
1: that, that was the cool part. Like we priced based on projections and it seemed like nobody, I understandably. So again, like it, it's kind of like what we said about Tom and early, especially if you're a buyer though, like well, great. You've projected this great, like anybody can put something down on a spreadsheet. Uh, but then like we kept just exceeding the projection every month and like, okay, well, this is what we predicted. And, and like we hit higher than it. And then here comes the, you know, the next month hit higher than that projection, even though like the projections were growing too, we would still just hit higher, hit higher, hit higher. And so and I just know. to
3: quantify that, I think the the trailing 12 months cash flow in the business when we got introduced was a couple hundred thousand dollars. I don't, I don't know the exact number and the projections, you know, so we were talking six figure historicals and then we were projecting, you know, kind of high, high six figure, seven figure, uh, net income. So like, you know, we were, pro- we were already projecting a two to 300% growth in the business. And
0: then they just blew that out of the water. Hmm. That's incredible. So when did there when was there interest in, with buyers? When did that start happening?
3: Yeah. So I think to to Brian's point, when we first went to market on the big projections, it, and the historicals really looked disconnected from the projections because it was it was such a hockey stick. You know, I, I had some pushback from buyers, but then as we went through kind of the first two or three months, and showed the actual performance beating the projections. Kind of every day after that, we had more, more and more buyer interest.
2: But I think also, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Isaac. But I think also the fact that we were killing our projections also made people nervous because they thought, like, are these guys like committing fraud or something? Which, (laughs) like, anything in crypto looks like fraud because of just how (laughs) insane the the performances are. It's like just dreary or just like the best thing you've ever seen, and so it doesn't really make sense to the average person looking at the books, I guess.
3: Yeah, there was some skepticism <laughs> about the about the growth and just, yeah, how, how it was being achieved. I think, you know, the other thing that was interesting with your business is you had virtually no paid traffic. You had mm-hmm. No, no, mm-hmm. no advertising expense. And so that looks so different than, you know, a lot of the econ businesses we see have 30 to 60% of their revenue being spent on advertising. And you guys yeah. were at less than 1%. Yeah. Uh, and so not only were you growing at this breakneck speed, but you were doing it organically with a blog that, that Colin was writing to drive traffic to your site.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's one yeah. thing I guess we haven't touched on yet is yeah. Colin's uh, magic SEO uh, ability. That's part of
3: the story that's got to be told because yeah. you know, maybe your business degree didn't pan out, but uh, whatever you learned in SEO is a goldmine.
2: I think we learned very early on that, and it's, it's such an obvious lesson, yet it seems like people just don't really think about it that often, especially in e-com is paid traffic is really expensive. I mean, really expensive. And they're also kind of a one and done. I mean, they, they might come on your website and they may be fairly high intent, but you don't develop a relationship or trust with the person and it's not a long-term strategy and I think a lot of people think they can just throw money at their problem of sales and it will it will come but but you know I think we we nurtured a pretty loyal audience and I mean it, they were either incredibly useful like okay how to transfer from Coinbase to your wallet and for some reason like no one had written this article I mean not well like maybe some guy in Bangladesh with poor English wrote it. And, you know, it just wasn't panning out. But you know, those were, those are people that those are our customers. People who own ledgers are our customers because our product is, if you don't know what a ledger is, it's hardware wallet. Our product is a compliment to that product. And that's a great opportunity right there. And that's free. And it was so easy to get that traffic because no one else had written like a really good article on that. And we, we did some like, kind of investigative journalism stuff that like got us lots of links. I think that those were kind of the two strategies for us was write really useful con- content that is like in 2 minutes I'm providing value to you in a real way to solve some technical problem that you're having, which is very common in in the crypto space. The the other content that we would write would be really investigative. So like there was uh there was a paper wallet generator that was just stealing people's coins. And you know we we went through and we we hired chain analysis companies to figure out where the coins went and who likely owned them and and we figured out how the scam worked like on a code level by by going into the code and uh, just figuring out like okay what is actually happening on this website when they steal your coins like how are they doing it mm. and that that content doesn't make you money but it gets you lots of links from really big crypto sites. And that raises all of your money pages. So it's kind of a two-pronged approach there. And I learned a lot of what I learned by, by working over at buy Bitcoin worldwide, which is the largest Bitcoin blog that there is. I, I had a mentor there that taught me a lot of stuff. And so I just implemented that on our website and it, it did really well. And was responsible for, you know, most of our sales that are on Amazon are because of that blog probably.
0: So smart. So, what happened with um with the sale what what can you tell us uh, about that
1: um well we <laughs> you talked about our initial bootstrap investment back in uh er, late 17 was about $24,000 and uh we exited for seven figures so <sighs> uh the, the power of compounded interest compounded work over over time in a business uh so well, plus
0: I'm sure you bought some uh, Bitcoin in that time. Um, you know, plus uh <laughs> being able to invest in all these different other currencies. So, uh yeah, I think you're doing pretty well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's yeah. it was uh a good, uh, first, first business, I would say. So.
3: And a, c- a couple of things I would point out about the transaction that I think are, are noteworthy. So yeah, we got, we got to a, a good valuation. Um, and I, and I also thought the deal structure in your deal worked out really well because we were able to identify a, a buyer who had, I think a pretty complimentary and and you ended up retaining equity in, in the business. And you're now, uh, working with your new business partner to continue to grow that business and you guys have started up a new venture that uh is super interesting. I'd love to talk about that. Can we can we talk about the uh the new venture as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um so and, and I totally agree with you about the uh the complimentary buyer. You know, you mentioned all of our all of our traffic was organic and, and you know he's a paid ads expert and I think that's what it was going to need to be for, for an individual, at least to have that level, that kind of expertise. Cause that's like Colin and I had said, that's what our business needed, uh, to really, you know, continue its growth. And, and so that's what we got. And we're really excited to be working with them.
2: Yeah. And I, I would say if you're, if you're thinking of selling your business, like, and you know, you're, you're having a hard time finding a buyer, like, like for us, it was, it was hard because our, our business was such a niche business that a lot of people like, Hey, your books look great. But like, I just, I don't I don't understand the business and I don't I don't understand the space. It's just too much of a, a hurdle for me. And I think also people are are understandably afraid when people are trying to sell their business. Like, okay, why are you trying to sell? But if you're if you're willing to retain some equity, it displays some good faith in the business that, hey, I, I just want to take some chips off the table, but I'm, you know, I'm in it with you. I'm willing to go with you. And if you can if you can find a buyer who maybe that maybe they don't even have the best offer, but if you retain some equity and they're really complementary to your skills and they have something you don't have, then you may make more money with that person in the long run anyway, if you're willing to take the ride with them. So I think that's that's some advice I would have if you're if you thinking of selling. Be open to those kinds of things. But yeah, with the new business, yeah, go ahead, Brian.
1: Yeah. So um it's called 10 Net Zero, the number 10. And then net zero, like net zero emissions. And basically, what what we're out to do is uh, using Bitcoin crypto mining as a tool to help energy producers. It could be oil and gas uh, monetize stranded or underutilized assets, and, and that could come in many forms. I think the 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 headline would be uh, a natural gas flare. So uh, if there's an oil oil well. A lot of times next to it, you know, you'll know, you see uh, a flame next to it and that's natural gas that's just being burned up. And so what our company would do is uh, come out, set up a, a Bitcoin mine on the process and use the natural gas to generate electricity and then mine Bitcoin off that electricity. And, and what that does is it lowers your net emissions by 30 to 60% uh, of carbon CO2 equivalent because instead of just uh, lighting that CO2 on fire, you send it through a, an engine which burns it much more efficiently, um, and so you have the environmental impact and then also the impact on the bottom line. So it's really two-fold prong of attack. And and I think as we look forward and, and want to tackle more of these carbon issues, it's going to have to be something that makes sense economically too. You know, people are only so altruistic, um, and so having something that can benefit them financially and also benefit the environment just really uh, cements that.
0: And that's yeah. awesome. So is this something that you guys have already? Like, do you have one of these, I guess it's a machine that would do this. Do you have one, many of them? Like, are you? Yeah, in, so in...
1: so we have one site up and working currently and we're going to be expanding that uh, to, uh, right now it's about uh, 100 kilowatts and we're going to be expanding it up to like 400 kilowatts uh, and then we're in talks, uh, with investors to kind of, to scale up from there.
0: Wow. So guys, I always ask, what's the first purchase that you made when you sold your business? <laughs> and, and, and it sounds like it might've been investing in your new company, but, uh, what's something <laughs> was something fun. It was, a, it
2: was a convertible note in the new business. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> is, is there anything fun that you bought with, uh, with the money from the sale of the business?
1: I I bought a, a a C2 rowing machine so that was my first uh first purchase I know, not kind of a small one but
2: yeah I I bought a bunch of plane tickets for my honeymoon so
1: <laughs>
2: hey congratulations cool. yeah thank you where are you going oh all over Europe yeah we're in like a like a month in Europe so
0: that's good. fantastic like that that's yeah. a huge win right there yeah yeah you know, see in the world very cool Guys, this is amazing. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on the Deal Closers podcast. I, I learned a lot, and I can't wait to see what, uh, what your next company does.
1: Thank you so awesome. much for having well, us. Thank you all for having us.
0: All right, that was Colin and Brian Alts. For Privacy Pros and Bill Foddle, head to privacypros.io. And for 10net0, head to 10 netzerocom That's the numbers 1 and 0, N-E-T-Z-E-R-O.com. Check out their podcast as well, Unhashed, which you can find on any podcast platform or head to unhashpodcast.com. Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers Podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate, review, press the follow button, and share with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Jason Gilligan, and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers Podcast.